be back in the Word of God, and I'll, I'll pray, and then we'll, get, we'll dive right into it. We'll be in Jude, and uh, give you a moment to get your Bibles there. It's been a couple weeks, had a, had a couple, um, well, we had a visitor, and then we had a Thanksgiving service, and so we'll review just a moment. Book of Jude, let's pray. Lord, would you bless us now as we go to your word. Thank you for the word. Lord, uh, uh, Lord Jesus, you are the living word. We have now the written word in front of us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for using, uh, using it to point us to Christ. And we thank you for teaching us the word tonight. I pray that you would, uh, Lord, illuminate the scriptures to us and help us to understand it and teach us the word and uh, we give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Book of Jude. If you remember, we spent a couple weeks in this so far. And we talked about who Jude was. And uh, we talked about why he was writing the book. If you remember in verse 3, he says, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. He wanted to write uh, another, another gospel. He wanted to write about the Lord. He wanted to write salvation. Uh, but the Holy Spirit directed him otherwise. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit's good at that. Amen? We ought to give him full reign to direct us. Paul desired, remember, Paul desired to go into Asia, farther east, and the Holy Spirit directed him west towards, uh, towards uh, Asia Minor or towards Greece. And uh, if he had not gone west, Europe may not have gotten the gospel when it did, and, uh, of course, that's how this, this part of the world got the gospel. Amen? Amen? That's how we have the gospel, because of that. And so praise the Lord for the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes I, I work on a message, and I, I'm, I get something going, and then the Lord changes it. That happens. Now, it's not always the most uh, exciting thing when He changes it right before you preach, but... You know, you got to just make sure you're right with the Lord. Amen. But sometimes he does those type of things and it always works out for the better because the power of God is real. And if we're preaching something that he don't want and there's no power in it, it's going to flop. Amen. And so Jude here, it was directed by the Holy Spirit to give us this. Now, what was the book? What is the book about? The main thing? What were we talking about? Anybody remember? Nobody remembers. It's been a couple of weeks. Apostasy, apostasy, as people are, you said contend, contending for the faith uh, is what he, what he uh, got into uh, here in verse 3. But it's, talk, it's talking about apostasy as people are coming away from the truth and leaving the truth. And, and he's saying, we need to stand up and fight for what is real and what is right and contend for the faith. <coughs> Excuse me. And so as we got into it, uh, we looked here and began in ver- uh, last time we met. We just touched into verse 5 and 6 as he began to give us examples of that apostasy. Apostasy means, again, falling away, turning away from the truth. Man, are we seeing that in our country today. Uh, we've been seeing it in, in the country, and now we're seeing it in the churches. Right? Because why? Because the church follows the world so often. Instead of keeping our eyes focused on Christ, we're focused on the world just to be a couple steps away from Him. And what do we do? We go farther into apostasy, and we don't even know all that. 
You think about the things that we accept in the church today that were just not even acceptable in, in, the, in, in the world, really, 50 years ago. It's, it's just apostasy. We have to be careful. We need to stand for truth and what is right. And here he gives us some examples. Let's look at verse 5, please. And I will therefore put you in remembrance that ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Okay? What's he talking about? He's talking about the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And, uh, and of course, what did they do? They came out of Egypt. They Remember, they went through the Red Sea. And they went to Sinai. They got the law. All of that, right? Um, they, they were, it's a picture. Remember the Old Testament so full of pictures. What did they do before they left Egypt? What was the big thing on the last night? What did they do? Do you remember? Passover. Passover. And what did they need to do? They, they had to take a lamb and they had to spread that blood on the doorpost, right? And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's a picture of salvation of Jesus Christ to come. The Passover meal was a picture of what Jesus would do generations later. All of that, right? And then, of course, he died during Passover. And he had that Passover meal with his disciples before he did, teaching about the Lord's table, communion to come for us, the church, and, he, and, and all of that. So he's, they put the, the blood on the doorpost, right? Then after they got, that was a picture of salvation. After they got saved, what did he do? He called them out of Egypt. He called them out of the world, right? Called out. And, and so they come out of the world, and then he sent them through the Red Sea. What's that a picture of? Baptism, Baptism right? Come out of the world and, and get baptized. And now they're, they're, they're not a church. Well, the, the New Testament does refer to them as a type of church, and, uh, and it's a pictures of things to come. And so we can see all that. Then they're, in the, then they're uh, at Sinai. And what do they get at Sinai? They get the Word of God. They get the law. It's the, uh, an opportunity to be consecrated to the Lord, set apart to the Lord because they have his, have his law. And uh, we, ha- we see all of that. Then they come up against the promised land. And what happened? What's that song? All the spies? Two, ten were bad and two were good. Right? Uh, I, how's that start? Anyways, moving on. Okay. You want to sing it for us? You don't. Okay. Amen. Uh, so, so they came up against the, came up against that and they said, oh, there's big giants in there. And we're like grasshoppers. And they were all scared about it. They'd seen God do all these things in Egypt. And they watched him, uh, and they watched the thunderings and the roaring and the sh- mountain shake at Sinai and all of that. And then they come up and they, they for 40 days, they went and, 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 wa- and looked around the land and then they were all scared. Well, at least 10 of them were. And they persuaded the people to complain and bicker. Oh, that we'd go back to Egypt. Oh, that we could have all that and all that. And what they were crying of slavery back then. And so God saved them out of that. But yet we find when they get to the promised land, they say no. And there's many that don't believe in the promise of God to give it to them. That's what he's talking about here. Many of them had come away from what the promise of God. He promised to give this land to them. And then they said, no, we don't believe it. Yeah, I saw some things, but I don't believe you can do this. And they they fell away from that. What happened to them? They died in the wilderness, didn't they? 
They died in the wilderness. Now, uh, the Bible says that, well, of course, Caleb and Joshua believed and God let, let them live long enough to go into the promised land. But those that were 20 years old and upward died in the wilderness. And then their children, the next generation, were able to go into the promised land. Now, interesting thought. This is not a doctrine of Scripture, but it's been introduced to me. There are some people that believe, and I'm not saying I believe this, but the age of accountability. Ever think about that? When you can get saved? You know, when, 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 when's a child going to uh, really, at this point, going to be held accountable to whether he's saved or not? I've had some people say, well, it must be 20 years old. I'm like, wow, really? My children knew right and wrong way before 20, you know, they're not even 20 yet. I dish out spankings because they know right and wrong, okay? But some people say that 20 years old is that age of accountability because God said, well, anybody 20 and younger doesn't have to go to war, can go into the promised land. And so I, I know some people that, that believe that way. I'm not telling you I believe that way. Uh, but uh, they're obviously... What I'm talking about, if I'm losing you, is that children, okay, Marshall, he's four years old. He's not saved yet. He knows what is right and what is wrong, but he hasn't fully comprehended what he needs to do to get saved. He would get saved in our eyes if I told him to get saved tonight. He's actually said to me, Daddy, when can I get saved? So then we start talking about it, and then he's like, where's the cookies? He's not there yet, but he's close. He knows that Jesus died on the cross. I don't think he knows, understands why. You know, uh, those type of things. So, so if Marshall died tonight in a horrific thing, and I hope, you know, obviously we don't want that. But if he died tonight, I believe the Lord would allow him to be in heaven because he's not there yet. Okay, there's an age of accountability. That's what we're talking about. Anyway, uh, some people believe that would be the age of 20, but... Just something to chew on for you. Reason for you to get in your scripture and find out if you believe that or not. Amen. I don't believe it. Amen. Okay, moving on. The Bible then says in verse 6. Now watch this. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. All right? Well, I remember we read this verse last time, but we didn't really t- discuss it very much. What is this talking about? This is another example of apostasy, of a group uh, of, in this case, beings that fell away from what they used to be. They're, they're not where they used to be. They, uh, obviously, we know that the, the first sin was that of the devil when pride was found in him. If you, if you look at that, if you want to understand that, that's Isaiah 14. And Ezekiel 28, when God describes Lucifer before his fall and then when sin was found in him. Uh, he, was a mag- he is a magnificent being as God created him. So when you read Ezekiel 28 and the, the kind of being that he is, he was one of those seraphim angels around the throne of God worshiping the Lord. The Bible said he was, his skill of music was in him. Pipes were made in him. So he, he, you wonder how he, why he uses music because he knows it. He's skilled with it. A magnificent being. He's an angel of light. He's not some red guy with a pitchfork. He's an angel of light, the Bible calls him. And that's why he can deceive so many. 
But we know that he had persuaded others to come with him. We know that. Okay, Revelation chapter 12, is it? It might be, but it's in Revelation. It talks about the war in heaven and some, a third of the angels were thrown out, whether that's in the previous or whether that's a battle to come. Sometimes the Revelation bounces around a little bit. But, um, but it talks about a third of the angels of heaven being cast out with the great dragon. And so here, verse 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate. The estate here means position, authority, or rank. Okay, so holy angels of God carrying out the, the, the work of God in heaven. Maybe we, we see names of, of cherubim, cherubim angels in the Bible. Cherubim were, were protection, uh, guarded. Okay, you think about the Ark of the Covenant, that piece of furniture that represented God, right? The presence of God. There's cherubim angels with, with wings right over top of it, covering the mercy seat. Right there on top of it. That's cherubim angels. There were seraphim angels talked about in the Bible. Uh, where they worshipped God at his throne. Okay, we, we see them described in Isaiah chapter 6. We see them also described in Revelation 4 and 5. Around the throne of God singing praises. And, and, uh, and, and we know that Lucifer was called a cherub. He might have been called a seraphim too. But a seraphim. Seraphim, but I know that he was called a cherub in Ezekiel and Isaiah. And so uh, he's definitely an angel. But here these, these angels, plural, have left their first estate, their rank, their position. It goes on. But left their own habitation. It almost sounds like the same word twice, but it's not. When you look up the estate, it means position, authority, rank. When you look up habitation, it means dwelling. Dwelling as in even a residence. Now, don't think of that as location, because I don't believe that's what it's talking about. Dwelling as in their dwelling. What are angels? Somebody help me. What are angels? They're spirits, aren't they? Do angels ever take on the form of human beings? Yes, multiple times in Scripture. Right? Abraham had three of them come to him, didn't he? Yeah. We, want, we believe one of them to be the Lord Jesus Christ, but at least two were angels that went into Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed it. Well, they drug Lot out first, and then they destroyed it. Okay? All right, so they left their own habitation. And it says here, He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. The great day here is speaking of the great day of the Lord. When God comes back and takes care of business and, ju- and judgment takes place. It could be referring to the whole time uh, from when Jesus, the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation all the way through the millennial kingdom to the great white throne judgment. It could be talking about that whole thing, but it could also just be talking about the great white throne judgment. Either way, there's judgment. Okay? Corinthians says that we will have a part in judging angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or 6, I believe. It says we'll have a part in that. It's talking about judgment, judging going on in the church. Why are we going before the law when we have a church? It says, don't you know that you'll even judge angels? And uh, Paul says that. And so uh, the great day of the Lord is those days of judgment to come. So he's got some here, verse 6 says, reserved in chains under darkness. 
That darkness, when I looked up that word there, it's a, it's a gloom. Uh, it's, it's a, I wrote it down here. I want to get it right. It's a, well, at least I thought I did. Amen. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> Amen. I wrote it down there somewhere. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thick cloud like gloom as in being the uh, as in being under under the the underworld as in being in in the bottomless pit remember the bottomless pit is black it's dark it's not full of light with fire it's it's darkness as the bible describes it and so they're bound with chains under darkness and it's reserved for the uh for the judgment of the great day now somebody help me are all fallen angels chained up? No. How do we know that? What'd you say? They pester us constantly. Do we have evidence in the Word of God? Yes, we do. Remember the legion? Uh, the, the, the maniac of Gadara with all the, the, the demons in him, the spirits in him? Those are fallen angels. Uh, they went into the swine, right? Um, let, me, let me just say this real clear, and I, I, this is not what I'm teaching tonight, but let's just make sure, because we just got done with you know, Halloween a, a month ago. Okay, Ghosts and goblins and all that stuff. Spiritual warfare is real. Ghosts are not real. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay? So people aren't left behind in hocus pocus and all that stuff. Spiritual warfare and demonic oppression and suppression and all those things are real. Okay, um, And so please uh, understand those things. So we have fallen angels that are in the world today and do a lot of work of Satan. But there are some here in verse 6 that are reserved for judgment, as in they were too bad. Something They did something that they couldn't be let loose any longer. That God restrained them under chains, under darkness. Now, there's a lot of debate over this. But let's go back to Genesis 6. Let's go back to Genesis 6. What could they have done... What could they have done that they were too bad to let, to let keep living on earth? What, what could they have done? And so Genesis 6 here gives us a little picture of this, a little understanding uh, into this just a bit. Genesis 6, obviously we know to be the chapter when God uh, introduced Noah to us and uh, Noah stood out to the Lord. But what was the purpose of of the destruction of the world with water. Why did God want to destroy the world by water? There was a reason for it. And you see this introduction. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says here, Genesis 6, verse 1, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, again, another big debate. Who are the sons of God? Obviously, that word son of God, sons of God can refer in Scripture to both men and to angels. So that's the big debate. 
In the Old Testament, we see several times where the sons of God are referred to as angels, especially in the book of Job. Okay? And so here, we'll continue. It says, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. For he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were, verse 4, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were, which were of old men of renown. All right. There's two theories here. Who were these sons of God? One theory is that the sons of God was the spiritual godly line of Seth, and the daughters of men were the descendants of Cain. And so you had godly people and, and ungodly people mixing together. Does that create a somehow powerful being that causes much evil in the world? I mean, there are some people that do wreak havoc in this world. But the context here of what he's saying leading up to the reason why God's going to destroy the earth, it, it sounds like something else, doesn't it? And so the theory over here is, and I don't believe it's just a theory because I believe the scripture backs this up multiple times. Not just in Jude, but in Second Peter as well. And uh, what over here, that the sons of God would be fallen angels that left their own estate and their own habitation. The meaning, they took on a form of a man and, and mixed with women on earth and created a mixed seed. And any time in Scripture with mixed seed, God doesn't look pleasantly on that. He, he says that, a, a, that the animals ought to bring after their own kind. That man and men and women should bring after their own kind, and uh, uh, however, in Genesis chapter three, does it not say that the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman? So the devil himself would have seed, right? And so uh, I believe this to be talking about fallen angels here, and uh, when when I look at this. In verse, in verse 4 here, it says there were giants in the earth in those days. Now, there's, again, there's all kinds of theories out there. Well, before the flood, there was this, you know, people say, before the flood, there was this cap over the whole earth. And it was like an ice cap. And, and it was a lot more oxygen in the air. And people grew bigger. And so did the flowers. And so did the dinosaurs and all. And that's a great theory, but we don't have a word of God. We don't have backing of the word of God on that. Okay, that's a great theory. But... Maybe a giant came because it had a little more oomph, a little more something in the, in the genetics. With me? The word for giant here is the word nephil. Uh, and, and it's weird. It's N-E-P-H-I-Y-L. That's the Hebrew. And plural would be nephilim. And uh, it literally means tyrant or giant. That's what the word means there. And it's the off, this giants, this offspring, it was the offspring of the sons of God and the women of earth. And I believe that to be fallen angels and women here. Why else? I mean, you think about how wicked our world is today, and yet God has not destroyed it. It says that the world will become like the days of Noah. But we're not there yet, apparently, because God hasn't destroyed it. He's not come back yet. And we know he will come back. And so, 
As we look through this, it says here, I'm going to keep reading, uh, the giants in the earth in those days, and also there were the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men that they bear children of them. The same before became mighty, the same became mighty men and were of old men of renown. Okay, mighty men means powerful tyrants, champion or giant. Somebody help me, who was else called a champion in scripture? Goliath was. That's what that word means, mighty men. It means champion. All right? Uh, it says, were of old in, the, in that verse. Were of old means time out of mind or eternity past or eternity future. In other words, mind, uh, time that we can't comprehend. That's what were of old meant. So I believe what it's talking about here is the sons of God produced men that were of old. In other words, they came out of something that was before our time, before man could, could comprehend. Okay? And then it says, men of renown. And renown just means uh, famous or to be lofty or a higher position. And they were, they were mighty men. They were my, obviously, Goliath was a mighty champion. Nobody wanted to face him. But yet, God took care of him. Okay? As we, as we think about the word here, giants... And it's, it's just after 8. I'll finish up real soon, but I want to give you this. The word for giants here, that nephil or nephilim is plural, I believe, it's found one other place, and that's in Numbers chapter 13. And in Numbers 13, I'm going to read it real quick. In Numbers 13 is when we had those spies spying out the land of Canaan. That's the only other time that we find that word nephil in Scriptures. And it's the last verse of Numbers 13, verse 33, says this. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Again, that word giants there is that same word that's found in Genesis chapter 6. And it's the only two places in Scripture that it's found. Notice the wording here. And, they, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. Interesting wording. What giants must it be talking about? A giant before this, right? Well, the only giants before this that I know of in Scripture is Genesis chapter 6. So, the question then comes, Brother Randy, the question then comes, well, didn't they all get destroyed in the flood? Was there anybody on the ark that we don't know about? I know Hollywood tries to create all kinds of junk. Don't I get so frustrated sometimes and all the stories and all this stuff. And people ask questions after movies come out and all that. Read the Bible. Amen. That's the truth. Amen. But there's somebody stuck on the ark, right? No, God said there was eight people. Noah? Mrs. Noah? Three sons. There it is. And they were married. Right? Eight. Now, is it possible that those that the sons married could have had some lineage in that? It's possible. I'm not here to tell you that they did. But what we find is that same word in Numbers 13, these giants are in the promised land and they come of the giants before this time. 
So perhaps the genetics were still there through the ladies that Noah's sons married. We have to assume that. But that's what the Bible says here. So when we see the sons of Anak here in Numbers 13, uh, when, we, when you follow Anak, Anak becomes a group of people in the promised land that Joshua has to defeat in the book of Joshua. And the sons of Anak are around the city of Hebron, southern Israel. And then we even see some of it even up against the great sea. Who were the group of people up against the great sea? The Philistines, right up against the water. If you read and study that word out in Joshua, and you say, well, where did Goliath come from? Where did his brothers come from? It's very possible from the sons of Anak that were in the promised land at that time. Okay? And so... When I, when I talk about all that, I go back to Jude, and you have to reference 2 Peter chapter 2 when you're reading in Jude. It, it lays it out very, very similar, the very same thing uh, in 2 Peter. Actually, I'll read 2 Peter for you, chapter 2, when it's speaking of this. It says in verse 4, 2 Peter 2, 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. It sounds like God brought the flood because there was great wickedness and great mixing of seed and all of that in the old world. And I believe that's what God's teaching us there. Okay, so Second Peter, you see that chapter lines up very closely with Jude, and it says they sinned. Those angels that fell, they sinned, and God locked them up because of it. Now that's just, that's one side of it, and and if you are are somebody with a Schofield Bible and you read Schofield notes and all that, he's a man. His notes aren't perfect. Okay, but you might have a Schofield Bible. He believes that it would be sons of God would be the line of Seth. I mean, yes, the line of Seth versus the line of Cain. I don't believe that to be true because I have a lot of evidence in Scripture that angels sinned and they're locked up. Why would some not be locked up but others would be? If you check out Revelation, uh, Revelation 9, I believe it is, there are four angels that are locked up under the river Euphrates. That's interesting too. Four angels are locked up under the river Euphrates. And they're waiting for the time that they will be loosed. And they'll be loosed under the tribulation time. And they'll come and begin to start to kill off the men of the earth. Four angels. Why the river Euphrates? I don't know, but that's what God says. And so there is great spiritual warfare. And the devil, listen, the devil has tried to, why, why would he do that? Why would the angels mix with the seed of all that and, and, and mess with all that? Well, first off, they're sinful, and when, when you let go of, of holiness and you go off on your own sinful ways, there's a whole lot of nastiness that can go on. Okay? Um, once we get into sin, sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It always will. But if the devil wanted to mess with the seed because he knew one day the Savior would come. One day the Savior would come. He tried to do it. I believe with these angels, these fallen angels. Somebody's getting excited over there. I don't know what's going on, but the truth is, or something, I don't know. But, amen. You've been studying this, Jake? 
Oh, he's just excited. Okay. All right. The devil's tried to mess with the seed so many times. Didn't he try to do it in Esther? Yeah, he tried to eradicate the Jews. Why? To stop the Savior from coming. Because he was given a promise long ago that the, the, that the seed of the woman would bruise his head. Right? You with me now? Okay. Well, we're way past time. So there it is. Amen. I like studying the Word and I like seeing what's in the Word. I like under, trying to understand all these things. Now, we have little pictures. We don't have the whole thing. We got little things. And I want to find out a lot more. Okay? I want to get to heaven and just see the books opened or the screen on or something and see what all is happening and taking place to know these questions that I have in the Word of God. I believe that's what God's teaching here, but I don't have all the answers. Obviously, neither do you. But uh, I, I enjoy digging deep on those type of things. I enjoy that. All right. Hopefully, I give you something to chew on and dig into the Word of God about and, and root up there. Um, the devil, he's, he's a nasty guy. He tries to mess with the seed of Israel so many times uh, to destroy the, 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 what God was doing with the Savior through Israel. That was the whole purpose of Abraham and his seed was to bring Christ. That was the whole purpose. Let's pray. Let's be done tonight. And then we'll have offering. Brother Trump, he's ready. Look at him. Offering as we go out. And we'll be ready to go. Thank you so much. Lord Jesus.